morning. You guys have a seat. So glad to, to see you this morning. If you're a, if it's your first time worshiping with us, we're so thankful that you're here. Uh, in the back of the seat in front of you, if you're in person, the back of the seat of the, in front of you is a Connect card. And uh, today we actually have a special gift for you in the lobby of the church, uh, an East t-shirt we'd love to give you today if it's your first time with us. Um, just fill out that card with as much information as you feel comfortable with. On your way out today, stop by the Next Steps table, um, which you'll see those on your way out in front of the Next Steps banner. And uh, just drop that card off with them, and they'll give you an uh, East T-shirt. We're so thankful that you're here. We pray that God speaks to you today. Uh, if you're watching this online, the easiest way to fill out that Connect card and let us know that you're here is by clicking in the link in the description, and, uh, and you can let us know that you're here, and we'll follow up with you this week and uh, answer any questions you have. And so, uh, man, we're so thankful to be able to get back together to worship. We are starting a new series uh, called I Promise, um, God's Love Letter. And so, um, and growing up, I grew up with stories, love stories. Um, there was a few in, the, in our, if you're older than me, there was a few Disney movies. Um, but Disney figured something out by like the mid-80s that they could mass produce the same story over and over and over again. Uh, it's the same thing that's made Hallmark a lot of money, if you are familiar with Hallmark, um, Christmas stories. Uh, anyway, um, but I can remember growing up watching these, watching these Disney movies. They're all the same. It's just different setting, different characters. But it's the story of one beautiful, awesome just incredible woman. Like there's, there's always something different, unique about them. But, but they were just beautiful in their own way. And then there's this man or this prince or this whoever. Sometimes he's just a knucklehead. But like he, he, he pursues this woman. He sees her beauty. And he, he's willing to, to go to whatever odds, right? Whatever lengths to pursue her and to have her. Um, he beats all kind of bad guys and all these things, right? This is the story that we've been sold over and over again. And uh, in this sermon series, however, that we're talking about um, God's love story, um, we're going to be spanning the whole Bible and focusing on how God goes to crazy lengths in his love for mankind. He continues to pursue us, overcoming all obstacles and bad guys to win our heart. The difference is God's love for us is not based on our beauty, nor based on anything good in us, okay? Um, that's the difference. We are not beautiful. We are not awesome. We are not perfect. But God continues to pursue us. God continues to pursue a partnership with us. And that's the difference. Um, there's another difference. In our story, the biggest obstacle and the biggest bad guy is not a mythical sea creature who stands between God and us it's not a, 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 a evil stepmother who's locked us in a tower, right? The obstacle and the bad guy in the story that's separating us from God's love is us, our own sinful hearts. And so what I hope stands out to you as we study through five weeks of, of these, uh, these partnership moments with God, what the Bible calls covenants. We're going to look through these five covenantal moments in the Bible to really see how much God loves us. And what you're going to see as we go through this love story is that the Bible tells us more about the heart of God than it does the beauty of man. All right? So today we're going to kick off that series by looking at the first time the word covenant comes up, and that is in Genesis chapter 6. So I'm going to read 
three verses. I'm going to pray. We're going to come back and talk about it, okay? Uh, Beginning in verse 5 of chapter 6. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you've given us your word, uh, God, to lead us and, and guide us, God, but mostly to teach us about who you are. And God, I pray that today as we've opened your word, that's exactly what happens, God, that we remove all the preconceived ideas and notions we had, especially about the story of Noah. And God, we would read it with fresh eyes today and see the merciful and loving God that's in the midst of it, Father. We thank you for this. We pray that you'd be with us and teach us to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you grew up in church like I did, even if... I'll speak to you first. If you grew up in church like I did, you grew up coloring pictures of a bearded, long, white, bearded man walking up a boat ramp with animals two by two lined up behind him as far as you can see. Uh, This is the story of Noah. And even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably at least maybe heard about this wild story in our Bible that... Uh, of, of a guy who builds a boat and animals follow him onto the boat and, and God rebuilds the earth from this everybody that was on the ark. And so here's what I want. It probably freaks you out a little bit. It's a weird story. I just want us to embrace that. Can we just, I know you, if you've grown up in church and it's God's word and it's holy, yes. But can we just all be honest, there are stories that freak us out a little bit, right? There are stories in the Bible that freak me out a little bit. I'm a pastor, still freak me out. This is one of those that can seem, it is, I'm just going to be, it's very dark and depressing to read the story of Noah as God floods the earth. But my goal today from the text is to show you that God's, God's message in the story of Noah is not wrath and judgment, it is mercy. And so I hope that's what stands out to you today. Let's begin, if you're a note taker. Point number one on your outline, man's mess. That's the first thing we see in the text, man's mess. All right, in those verses I read earlier, we see a bleak image of the world. Look at verse five. When the Lord saw, what did he see? Human wickedness wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Now, that sounds a little bit exaggerated, right? Like that, that can't be true. We live in an exaggerated culture. We grew up using the word like and using lots of uh, crazy over the top like a million times. You know, we say stuff, we exaggerate numbers and things all the time. But what, when we come to chapter 6, we look at verse 5, we say wickedness was widespread across the earth. And we immediately think, okay, how did it get that bad? But what you forget is that we're coming in in the middle of a story. I mean, you've, the Bible was meant to be read. The Bible wasn't meant to be read like this, right? Like flipping back and forth. But that's what we do. And we look in a different place every day, and we look for God's truth. The Bible was meant to be read from beginning to end, and every book was meant to be read that way. And so, when you come to the Book of Genesis and you start in chapter six, as I'm doing today, so forgive me, we've got to talk about the first five chapters if we want to understand what's going on. And so we got to get this context of what's going on before this. Because chapter 6, we see everything is out of control. Let's figure out how we got there. Go back to the Genesis 1 and 2. 
In Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created everything. And he said that everything he created was good, including human beings. That's important. And these first two humans, though they were created good, they choose to defy God's plan. They did the very thing that he, cho- he told them not to do. They doubted God's goodness and his care for them. This action was an effort to define for themselves what was good and what was bad. God said, here's what's good, here's what's bad. They said, uh, we'll decide that. That's what they did. They chose to do. This was the first sin. And listen, eating fruit from the wrong tree does not seem like a big deal, does it? Because can we all just testify we've done a lot worse things than eating the wrong fruit? The first service did. Y'all are a bunch of holy people. Y'all haven't done nothing. First service was a bunch of sinners, okay? But this is true. Like, I just think like this isn't a big... Was it really that big a deal? But what we see happen as Adam and Eve eat from the wrong tree in that action is cemented in the heart of man a sinful nature. That's the heaviness of the first sin. Not what they did, but what that meant. You see, the, Adam and Eve eat from the wrong tree, and then they have kids. And guess what gets passed on to those kids? Sinful nature. And then guess what happens the very, in the very next generation? We went from eating of the wrong tree to their sons, Cain and Abel, killing one another. Right? So we, we just see how quickly that got out of control. We went from eating the wrong fruit from the wrong tree to killing your brother. That's intense in one generation. That's intense. Cain got jealous of his brother and murdered him. The sinful heart wasn't overcome, but it allows the sin of the world to escalate. A few generations later in Cain's family, so Cain's killed Abel, and now Cain's had kids and kids and kids and kids, and just a few generations later is a guy named Lamech. And Lamech was so murderous that he sung about it. Dude, if you'll sing about murder to your two wives, you're pretty good at it. You know what I mean? You've done it a lot. And so that's what we see Lamech do. Lamech is singing about his own guiltiness with laughter, it seems. And within just a few generations of Lamech, we've gone from eating the wrong tree to murder, then to mass murder, being worthy of a song. This is how quickly sin gets out of control in mankind. And so now, with that in mind, we get to Genesis 6. Human wickedness was spread over the earth. See, it doesn't seem so crazy now, does it? We went from eating a fruit to murdering your brother, so that got out of hand really quickly. Imagine several more generations. We've come to a point now where, in the story, Genesis 6, where human wickedness was widespread on the earth. The perfect world that God had created had been wrecked by sin. And what we begin to see... Is God's desire to recreate. As you're reading the Bible, man, this is a, ter- a theme that you'll see through the Old Testament. As you read it, if you read it from beginning to end, you'll see God recreating the book of Genesis. It's over and over again. But what he often does first is he has to decreate before he recreates. Okay? And so there's some intentional language here I, w- I want to let you know about. Um, again, as, if you're reading the Bible from beginning to end, Um, In verse 7, there are three words or phrases that should stand out to us if we've been reading from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6. Uh, Verse 7 says this, I will wipe mankind 
whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. Three phrases there. Mankind, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky. First off, the word mankind in the Hebrew is the word Adam. What does that sound like? Adam. That means Adam's real name was mankind. Wrestling fans from the 90s, 2000s? There's four of us. But anyway, uh, more than the first service. They gave me zero. So uh, glad you guys are... Hang there with me, but um, it's only funny for those of us that know. But the, uh, back to your notes, Heath, back to your notes, back to your notes. Uh, so a- a- Adam, Adam, okay, so mankind uh, is the first term that we see there. There are two other terms, though, that are important, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky. Those are used in the same verse, okay? In verse 7, you know the last time they were used in the text? Genesis one twenty six. Those three terms are used intentionally. Again, let's look at Genesis one twenty six. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. So God says in Genesis one twenty six, let us make Adam in our image. And what are they going to rule over? The fish, which we don't mention because you can't kill fish with more water, Okay. Um, but creatures that crawl and birds of the sky. That was the two things that Adam and Eve were called to rule over. It seems clear in Genesis 6 verse 7 that God is using those three terms very intentionally to point us back. Here's the deal. We often think, how bad was sin on the earth? Like how ba- It wasn't that sin was on the earth. It seems from the text that God's main issue with mankind was that we had abandoned what he said in Genesis 1.26, which was to bear my image. See, the sin, yes, sin was rampant, but one of the issue was mankind had abandoned its God-given purpose. To bear his image. God called mankind to have dominion over creation. I'll, I'll make a further point. God, ruled, God called man to rule over creation. What did Adam and Eve, what convinced Adam and Eve to sin? <laughs> a beast of the field. A serpent, if you know the story. A serpent that they're supposed to rule over. They're supposed to listen to God and rule over the animals. What happened? Yep. They listened to a serpent. And ruled over God. And overruled God, I guess we could say. Right? The whole creative order. Sin flips the created order that God put in place for us. So there's something greater than just sin going on. Yes, sin was everywhere. But the accusation from God is that mankind has abandoned its God-given purpose. And that's why man is in a mess. And so God intervenes into the mess. In this intervention, we see, we see God's wrath and his judgment. But I want to show you today that there's more to the story of Noah. Point number two, I believe in the text, we see God's mercy. We see God's mercy. I know that sounds crazy, but bear with me, okay? After we've just heard in verse 7 that God's going to wipe everything out. Verse 8, Noah, however found favor with the Lord. Boy, isn't that word, however, a big word. I'm going to wipe out mankind. However, Noah found favor with the Lord. God was going to wipe everything out. 
And we come to find out that Noah, uh, that God asked Noah to build an ark, um, which he's going to use to keep Noah, his family, and some of every type of animal safe through the rains that God is going to send. We get to chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, uh, three sons and their families, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. You are to take with you seven pairs, a male and its female, of all clean animals, two of the animals that are not clean, uh, male and its female, seven pairs, male and female, of the birds of the sky, in order to keep offspring alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I'll make it rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and every living thing I have made, I will wipe off the face of the earth. And Noah did everything that the Lord commanded him. So I got a dumb question, okay? Uh, Daryl argued with me there's no dumb question. How many of y'all really believe there's no dumb question? Daryl does, but he hasn't been in student ministry. Um, if you've served with teenagers or you're a teacher, some of you guys are teachers in the room, you work with teenagers, there are dumb questions, I promise you. Uh, absolutely dumb questions. But this is a dumb question. Who got on the ark? Who got to go on the ark? Those God wanted to use to repopulate with, Right? Not to give you a whole biology lesson here, okay? Because there are little ears. But God needed a male and female, amen, to repopulate, okay? So that means that if there were a male and female tiger on the ark, guess what God wanted to be a part of his new creation? Tigers is the answer. Thank you. If God wanted, uh, if if there were mice on the ark, Guess what God wanted to be a part of his new creation? Mice, right? If there were rabbits on the ark, and before they got off, there was a whole bunch of rabbits. But if there were rabbits on the ark, then God wanted to use rabbits to be a part of this new creation he was making. And listen, if there were human beings on the earth, then God had a purpose in humans for his new creation. You see that? Adam Noah didn't just get on the boat because God was bored or because he had a he had a he had a plan in allowing Noah to be on the ark and his family. Here's the deal. Here's what's so intense about that. God knew before the foundation of the earth how sinful mankind would be. Right? When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't go Huh. Well, look at that. I didn't see that coming. What am I going to do now? Plan B, right? God knew that they were going to disobey, but he created them anyway. God knew that Abel and Cain, he knew how that was going to work out, yet he allowed Adam and Eve to have them. The story goes on. Lamech, God knew Lamech was going to do what he did and sing about what he did, but God allowed him to be born. And here, God not only knew beforehand what was going to happen at the beginning of Genesis 6, that everything was going to be such a mess, he also has witnessed it with his, with his present eyes. Right? He saw it with his future eyes. Not that God has more than one eyes, but God knew it was coming, but now it's actually come to pass. We've moved from eating the wrong fruit to nothing but evil thoughts and actions all the time. God was not caught off guard by that. He knew it was going to happen, but he chose to save humanity anyway. And restart. Church, we always look at the story of Noah and ask God the question, and just question God like, God, how could you continue to send rain 
as they were perishing. Forty days of hard, solid rain. How could you do it? But we never ask the question, why didn't you kill them all? Right? Why did you even allow Noah to to exist? Why did you allow his children? You knew how bad mankind had gotten and you knew the issues that lay ahead. You knew that Lindsay Lane East was going to have a new pastor in 2019, 2020, when did I start? 2020. And he's a doofus and sinner too. And it's a church full of mostly sinners in the first service. And how could you, why did you choose God? Why did you choose to continue to deal with us goofy humans? And I have no answer but God's mercy. You see, God is a just, he is a just God and he is, there is wrath in God's, in God's character. He has to deal with sin. But at the end of the day, God is a merciful God and we see it in one of the most horrific stories in the Old Testament. At one of the heights of man deserving total and utter extinction. God has a different plan. He chose life when we deserve death. That is the merciful God that we worship. And the question remains, why in the world would God do this when none of us would have done it if we were God? That's point number three. Glory's mission. We've seen man's mess. We've seen... God's mercy. I want to show you glory's mission. God had a very great purpose behind Noah getting on that ark. But it wasn't a new one. Genesis 9 verse 1. After Noah and his family get off the ark, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them what? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Church, this was not a new command. God had already said the same thing to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1. Two verses later than the one I read. God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule the He goes in a little bit more detail. In the beginning, God made mankind in his image. A better way that you can think about that is as image bearers. We're to be image bearers of God, bearing the image of God to the world reflecting who God is. That's been the purpose of every human being who's ever been born. When a human being reflects God's image in the world, God gets glory. So God said, be my image bearer so that others may see me and know me. That's the image bearer piece. And then he says, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And he's definitely talking about making babies, okay? But oftentimes that's where we think, okay, he's talking about making babies, let's move on. But remember that God first said, bear my image. Then he said, bear fruit. The call is for human beings to be image bearers and encourage others to live up to that calling as well. Whether that is by having children in your house and raising them up to love God, or raising somebody or speaking into somebody else's baby and teaching them through discipleship. People you work with, people in your family. The point remains the same. When there are more faithful image bearers in the world, there is more glory for God. So after giving this game plan of multiplication to Noah, 
God actually makes a covenant. And covenant is a, is a Bible word. It's a, not just a Bible word, but it's used um, in, in history as well to, to, of a making an official agreement. Okay? We would shake hands, right? Shake hands. Or uh, write your name on a 12-page document or whatever, right? Sign your name, sign my name. Um, that's what a covenant is, Right? It's a handshake. So this is the way I like to view it. It's a handshake. It's, I'll do my part. I'll give you this, or I'll do this for you if you do that. Right? Steve Thomas, he's going, uh, he, he, he would love nothing more than, the, than Miami being the national championship this year, next year. And if it happens, which it probably ain't going to do, but anyway, if it were to happen, right? I don't want to ask Steve because... Might be pressing a little bit, but I'd like to know what Steve would give for a ticket to the game, right? And so if he, he he's willing to give a whole lot of, I'm not going to ask Steve. I'd like to know what you'd be willing to give, but I'm not going to ask. And so if he, he finds tickets, right? He's willing to give whatever, but the person has to give them the tickets, right? I want to give you the tickets if you'll give me this. Now if Steve doesn't give up his his car, that old beautiful car of his for that ticket, then he doesn't get the ticket, right? Like there's, there's got to be an exchange. There's a this side and a that side. And that's what we see in covenants. But God says here, um, and, and let's look at what this covenant is about. We see the declaration of this covenant, Genesis 9, beginning in verse 8. God said to Noah and his sons with him, understand that I am establishing with you and your descendants after you with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, all the wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark, I establish my covenant with you that never again will a creature, will every creature be wiped off with floodwaters. There will never be again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I've placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. Now, what's interesting about this covenant? Typically at the covenant ceremony, the handshake occurs. Right? What is God promising in this? That he won't what? Help me flood the earth and kill everything okay that's the handshake that's god's part of the handshake what's man's side from the ceremony i don't see anything that's why this has been viewed by a lot of uh historic uh theologians as an unconditional covenant god just says this is not going to happen there's no part of the handshake doesn't matter what man did because i'm telling you if there were stipulations on man then we'd be swimming right now. Amen? Like, I don't know how bad it looked for sin to be widespread across the earth, but we got to be close. we got to be close. And so we would be swimming right now if God made this a conditional covenant. It's a pretty sweet deal. seems pretty merciful to me. And as a visual symbol and reminder of this covenant, God hung up His bow in the clouds. Now, you and I immediately think of a beautiful rainbow, right? Immediately think, Roy G. Biv, anybody? Y'all remember Roy G. Biv? 
Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. If you didn't know that, ask somebody um, before you leave. Um, They can help you out. Know the colors of the rainbow. But does God say he has put his rainbow in the cloud? No. He says, I've hung my bow in the clouds. It's a term that's used of a war bow that would be used in battle. Notice this imagery. God has just brought judgment against sin on the earth in a widespread way across the earth. God, has de- God will continue to deal with sin in pockets, right? He brings judgment against sin in certain pockets, but never before, and it's going to be a while again before God deals with sin across the face of the earth. And after he does this, he hangs his war bow in the clouds. Do you see how that should change the way we view this beautiful rainbow? It's a symbol of war and battle against sin. We have a Jesus, uh, it's called a Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, If you have kids, or even if you don't, Jesus Storybook Bible is an incredible little storybook we use with our kids, have since they were born. Um, I recommend it, literally for all ages. Um, As the author, uh, she she begins to speak of, of uh, of this story. Um, she talks about that, that there in the sky, God hangs his war bow up, and she comments about the direction it's facing. Right? You ever thought about that? Like, a rainbow isn't a soup bowl. Right? Like, up like this. It was down like this. Or, it's not up. Anyway, you see what I'm saying? Right, it's going like this. Okay? I butchered that. This is what she says about it. No, God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. So you see, God hangs this in the sky, the bow, as a reminder that the next time I deal, the next time I deal widespread with every human being, the next time I bring judgment against sin, man will not suffer for it. Who did? Jesus. Into the heart of heaven the bow was facing. That Jesus himself would take on the punishment for our sin. The covenant God made with Noah and with all, with all of us, it was an unconditional. Because there was no way that we could earn what he was offering. We would have had a million floods by now if that were the case. But the Bible actually does speak of a judgment that is coming one day ahead for all of us there's a day in the future in which god will judge all of mankind again the bible tells us that he's going to separate everyone into two groups one group that gets to experience never-ending pleasure in god's presence and glory and a group that will never again experience god's presence total separation from the beauty and presence of god Now, the reason I bring this up today is because Jesus, when he was on the earth, spoke of the story of Noah as he was looking forward to this judgment. He said that everyone, it's going to be just like, he says, it'll be just like in the days of Noah. Everybody's going to be doing their thing. You're going to be going to work, getting ready to watch the Super Bowl, right, whatever. You're going to be be taking care of your house. You're going to be cleaning. You're going to be watching your kids. You're going to be watching TV. You're going to be doing whatever it is you do. And then it will happen. Just like the rains began to fall in an instant, 
In the same way, Jesus says the coming of the Son of Man will be the same. Everybody's going to be doing their thing, and then it will happen. He tells that he tells those he's teaching about. He says, "Be prepared for this." The good news is, praise God, we don't have to build an ark, Amen. Because it took no like a hundred years. Y'all don't realize that. It didn't take him a few days. Boy, been building that thing for a hundred years. Anyway, we don't have to build an ark to make it through this judgment. We don't. There's nothing we can do, in fact, to survive this judgment. However, for the same reason God saved Noah through the ark, he wants to save you. We don't have time to make the argument, but it wasn't because Noah was without sin that God saved him. There are two things that are written about Noah that are the reason why God chose Noah for this. Verse 9, it ends with Noah walked with God. It speaks of his righteousness. It speaks of his being blameless. But we know that Noah wasn't perfect because as soon as he gets off a boat, he messes up big time. But what we do is that Noah walked with God. That's a term that gets used of Enoch, who was a predecessor to Noah, and it got used of Adam before the fall, that Adam walked with God. He had a relationship. Noah had a relationship with the Creator God. And we know that that relationship was accessible only by faith. Hebrews eleven seven in the New Testament tells us, By faith, Noah, after he was warned by God about what was not yet seen, the floodwaters, and motivated by godly fear, you would have been too, he built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he, the, the world was condemned and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, any righteousness Noah had was not of his own. It was by faith. It was by faith. Today, I need you to know, again, that there is a judgment coming. Noah worked on the ark for 100 years. 100 years, he was waiting on it. I don't know if we got 100 years before the judgment comes. But here's what I do know. I can tell you this. Don't wait. Scripture says it over and over again. Don't wait. Don't wait to get things right with you and God because just as in the days of Noah, it will come when we least expect it. And then it'll be too late. Today, you can place your trust in Jesus and be saved. Our salvation is not in an ark, right? It is in something wooden, though. It's in the cross of Christ. It's in the blood that He shed. Jesus has already paid the debt for your sins. He has paid for it. He's taken the judgment on Himself. You can trust in Him and receive this righteousness that allowed Noah to walk with God and have a relationship with Him. Patrick and the worship team are going to come up. But you guys bow your heads with me. I just want to speak something over you with every head bowed, just in eyes closed, just so you can listen to me. As they're coming up, I don't want you to be distracted. Listen, God has, Jesus has taken all of our sin. And today, if you'd like to trust in him, you can. We're going to have counselors by our back door, decision counselors, who, um, who, who would love to just have a conversation with you about how you can trust in Jesus, help you work through any uncertainty that you have about your salvation. Um, I'm going to be up front as well. 
But we would love to talk with you about how you can trust in Jesus today and know for sure that you are in Christ and that you've received God's mercy. Um, if you'd also like to talk to any of us about any other thing, if you, I know I'm a Christian, but I've never been baptized. Or I want to talk to somebody about church membership or I want to talk to somebody about just needing prayer. The altar will be open. Counselors are at the back door. I had a lady this morning trusted in Jesus for the first time, turned from her sin and was saved. Praise God. And if you've never done that and you would like to talk with somebody about what that looks like, man, we want to talk to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that you, uh, you did make a way, God, just as you made a way for mankind to be rescued through the flood waters with Noah, God, you've made a way for us. And God, I pray, God, that everybody here, God, those watching on live stream, God, those in the house today, God, those who listened this morning in the first service, God, I pray that we just ask the question, do I know, am I confident that Christ has saved me by his blood? God, I pray that you would help us all to deal with that. And God, help us to walk in obedience to it. God, I'm praying over this time now, God, as we stand and sing, I pray, God, um, that, that, that uh, if there's anybody here who's never trusted in you, that they would, they would go talk to a counselor at the back door, God. I pray that you just move in them. God, I pray for those of us who are Christians, God, that we just be reminded, God, that um, not everybody's on the boat. Not everybody's trusted in you and got our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and got the people we encounter on a daily basis. They're not with us. But God, you've called us to, to help them find their way to Christ. Pray, God, that you would, as Patrick prayed before I even preached, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, help us all to live for you. God, be with this time of invitation, this time of response, God. Move every heart towards you. Jesus' name.